The word of the Lord says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Amen. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. You know, we're in our series called This Is Us, and This Is Us, we're talking about who are we? Who are we, the people of Powell's Chapel in particular? You know, we're just one piece of the body of Christ. We're just one piece of the bride of Christ uh, universally. But what does it mean for us here in particularly at Powell's Chapel? What is our mission and who has God called us to be? You know, we talked about that three weeks ago. The first two weeks of the series is our mission statement is to, to know God and to make him known. Like, that's our desire. When we look in God's word, and for the people here at Palace Chapel, we really have a desire to know God. And what does it mean for us to really to know God? And I don't just mean know him intellectually. Because all of us in the room, we know a lot about a lot of people. I could say to you, I could list all the facts about the greatest basketball player ever, Michael Jordan, in my opinion, and I could list it as if you would think I really know him. But I don't know him. All that I know is what's on a piece of paper. I have never had an interaction with him. I don't have a personal relationship with him. And so what God is calling us, God doesn't want us to just know him intellectually. He wants us to know him personally. And do we do that, church? Because if we don't know him personally, we won't go and make him known anywhere. Like, I don't go around talking about Michael Jordan being the greatest basketball player ever just because I don't have that interaction with him. And so, first and foremost, do we really know God? Have we put all of our hopes and our desires, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength into knowing God? Do we spend personal time with the Lord in the morning or in the evening, that you're reading God's word, the, the, the love letter that God gave us about himself and how he wants us to be. Do we spend time with that? See, it's, it's okay to listen to the radio. It's okay to come here and listen to me. It's okay to have a podcast and all the avenues to listen to God's word. But do you listen to God's word. It's way different. If all that you're doing is coming here on a Sunday morning and getting from me what you think you need, I promise you will have spiritual starvation. You will be starving yourself to death. I've said it before. You don't go anywhere else in life and eat one meal for 30 minutes a week and hope for the best that you make it all the way back to the next meal. And yet so often we treat our spiritual bodies that way at best. At best, we do that. And what God is saying, no, no, I want to know you. We'll see that in this passage. 
that we have a relational God that wants a relationship with his people. Because when he knows if you have a relationship with him, then you will be compelled to leave this place and make him known to the world. How do I know that? Because if you're married, you did that. Like I've told this story when I got engaged to Jenny. Man, I, it was 1130 at night because this Yahoo kid wouldn't leave my house. And I like just like, man, get out the door. I got some better things to do than hang out with you and play a video game. I got to get engaged. And so he just hung around and hung around. Finally, he left and I got engaged and it was late in the evening. But I wanted the world to know, man, that I had just asked Jenny to marry me. It didn't matter what time it was. And yet that's a small comparison to my love relationship with God the Father. Right? And so that's our mission statement. We want to know God and we want to make him known. And then we're talking now, then what are the pillars that we stand on? If that's our foundation, what are our pillars? We have four pillars here at Powell's Chapel. The first is what we talked about. Is this, that we'll talk about this morning, is to be God glorifying. We switched it last week just based on some other things. But last week we talked about being a, a, loving, a loving missional community. That we really would be a, a community of believers in this church that really loved each other, first and foremost. That we really would become a body of Christ, a family, as the Word of God says. And this week we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to really be God-glorifying. Not just to know God, but now to glorify God. To be a God-glorifying church. I think this passage here in uh, Exodus chapter 34 is a prime example. What does it really mean to glorify God? See, I think it means to glorify God is what Moses is going to do, what God is going to show Moses in this passage in 34 verses 1 through 5. The context of this story comes out of, remember that God had gone to Moses and said to Moses, hey, you need to go and you need to let my people go. You need to go to Pharaoh and say, these are my chosen people, the Israelites, the ones I love, the ones I've made a, a covenant with, a commitment to, and they're in bondage. Sound familiar? You and I are that same Israelite that's caught in bondage. And we need a God that would redeem us and save us and sent us a messenger who is the messenger Jesus. So Moses was a foreshadow to Jesus to deliver his people. And so here's the story that the, the Israelites come out of bondage and then they begin to wander the desert and they start to grumble. You know what they were saying in the desert? Hey, it was better off as a slave. It was better off back then. Have we ever done that? I know I have. Like, I'd rather be in slavery than really be set free. And so they are grumbling throughout uh, uh, this, this wandering through the wilderness. And God goes to Moses and says to Moses, Hey, I, I have a covenant relationship with my people. And my people need to know what it really means to love me and to walk with me and to be with me. And then he tells Moses, I want you to come up on this hill, this mountain, and I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments, the Ten Pillars, how it is to be in a loving relationship with me. That's the Ten Commandments. This is what it means to be in relationship with God. And so Moses comes down, and in the middle of that moment, Jesus, uh, in that middle of that moment, up on the hill, uh, the Israelites begin to make idols, begin to worship other 
things. And God says to Moses, hey, you need to get down there because those people are a, a wicked, wicked people and you need to tell them about their wickedness. And you need to tell them about my judgments that's going to come on them to their wickedness. And Moses pleads out to God, don't do that. Please, God, don't do that. This is a summary. Go back and read it on your, God, don't do that. And so Moses walks down the mountain, and as he walks down the mountain, he sees the golden calf, and he takes the, pill, the two tablets and smashes them on the ground in his anger, and he begins to rebuke the people of God. And in that moment of rebuke, that people turn in their hearts, and then he goes back up on the mountain, and this is what we see. This is what we see when Moses goes back from rebuking the people back up to God. And so he says, hey, in, verse, in chapter 32, he says this to Moses. Hey, Moses, these people have sinned, and yet I still want to spend time with you, Moses. So God himself says to Moses, hey, tomorrow morning, Moses, you and me, I want to be with you and me on the mountain by ourselves. Think about that for a moment. Think about that invitation from God to Moses. I don't know about you, but I remember as a young boy waiting for uh, Christmas morning to get there, all the presents, and I could not sleep out of the anticipation of what was going to be at, the, at, at uh, Christmas morning for me in a present. I, I, the anticipation. I wonder what that night looked like for Moses. When he had just got a, a personal invitation from God himself that says, hey Moses, come hang out with me. The first thing that we must know and when we glorify God is this, that God desires us to have a personal relationship. Do you see that in the text? God desires you and me to have a personal relationship. First and foremost, not not this far off relationship, but a very personal relationship. And then this is what it says. Not only does Moses go up on that mountain that morning, but this is what it says in the text in verse 34, verse five. So Moses walks up. He's now cut these two new tablets of stone. He's carrying these tablets of stone to meet with the Lord and to have that, uh, that, that moment with the Lord again, the way the Lord wrote on those two tablets. And the first time he's waiting in anticipation for that. And yet something dramatic happens. And I don't want us to miss this. In verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him. You see that in the text? Here's the God of the universe. The God of all creation. The Lord of lords. The King of kings. Yahweh, the great one, the master of all masters, comes in a cloud and is sitting with Moses. Catch that picture. God comes to us. God comes down to Moses. It's the name that we get Jesus from, Emmanuel, God with us. 
And so here's the God of the universe that he says to Moses, hey, you can't really see all of me because if you see all of me, you, you just, you, you'll be obliterated because of my glory. So I'm going to clothe myself in this cloud, but I'm still enclothing myself in this cloud. I'm going to sit down with you, Moses. And it says in the text that it's as if two friends are having a conversation, that God talked to Moses and Moses talked to God like friends. That's a covenantal relationship. That's a one-on-one relationship that God desires you to have with him. You see, God glorifying starts not with you, but it starts with him wanting a relationship with you. And so here it is. God is hanging out with Moses. It says, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now he's going to say, hey, Moses, for a long time you've walked with me. And a long time we've hung out. And a long time we've had this friendship. But now, Moses, I really want to tell you who I really am. I really want you to really know all of me, Moses. Like here's the God of the universe getting vulnerable with man. Like here, here's all of who I am, Moses. And then some, it's not going to capture all of who God is. We'll never know all of who God is. But in these moments, we get to see who God is. And he says this in the text. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping in steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins so he says to moses this is who i am moses we see a number of things that god says about himself the first one is this the first one he doesn't talk about his characteristics of who he is he starts with this is who i am i'm the lord the lord look at that in your bible he said, this is who I am. You remember before he says, God, Moses says to God, well, God, who, who do I say that you are? He says, I am. Just tell him I am sent you. And now he's saying to Moses, not only am I am, but I am Lord, Yahweh. What does that mean? What does it mean to be Lord and to be Yahweh? That means he is ruler and controller of all things. Like he is on the throne room, in his throne, ruling all things. He says, Moses, don't miss it. I control everything. It's all mine, and I have all control over all of it. Don't miss that, Moses. What he's saying to Moses is, Moses, you are man, and I am God. Remember that, Moses, that you are man. You have no authority on anything other than what I give you authority in and Moses whoa wait wait a second I I thought I was in charge of all these people down on this mountain God said no no those are all mine you see all that to your right all that to your left all that in front of you all mine all of it everything's mine and not only is it mine but I control it all I give it life I give it death I make it grow, I make it flourish. It's all mine. I am Lord, sovereign, ruler over all things. You see, that's where it starts, with who God is, not just the characteristics of God. 
And so for us to glorify God this morning, first and foremost, do you know and believe that God is sovereign and ruler over all things? That's where it starts. Because if it doesn't start there, then you and I will pick and choose what we think God is in control of and not in control of. Which means we'll never really totally glorify God. Because at the end of the day, we'll think, well, I did that. That job promotion, I did that. That extra money in the bank account, I did that. That new house, I did that. That new car, I did that. Those children, I did those. Sometimes you're like, man, I wish I hadn't, but you know, still. And so God is saying, no, no, Moses, all of that to the minor details is mine. And so are you. And now he says, now this is who I am. So I'm in control of everything. But now let me tell you about what that control looks like. That power looks like. That sovereignty looks like. And where does he start? He starts with this one word. He says, I'm the Lord, the Lord, a God of what? Mercy. Another word for that word, mercy, is the word compassion. That word mercy, that word compassion is this word picture for us, what it means for a mom to have a love relationship with a child. What it means is you know as a parent, I know as a parent that my, my kid is going to mess up and he's going to mess up 110 times over just today. And yet God has this compassion and mercy for me because he knows I'm going to mess up. So he's saying, although I'm in control of all things, Moses, yet I have compassion for you as a sinful human being. And I have compassion and I have mercy for you. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. He's going to get there at the end of this passage. And so God is saying, hey, I'm not going to give you what you deserve because I have compassion and I have mercy for you. But don't forget, I'm still in control of all of it. So we have this compassionate, merciful God. Do we believe that, church? You see, so often church... We have this concept that God is out to get us. Like God's in heaven waiting for us to sin and waiting for us to rebel so he can take one of those big lightning bolts and just bam, strike you dead. Like that's the mindset most people have about this God. That we have a vengeful God first and foremost. He's going to get to his wrath. He's even going to get to the wrath in this text, but he starts with the compassion. He starts with his mercy. And so church, I ask you the question. I ask myself this question. What do I think about God first? His wrath or his mercy? Like, am I so scared of God that I don't bring myself fully to God because I think he's a wrathful God? Or do I say, no, wait, God is a merciful, kind God so then I can bring all myself to him. All my sinfulness to this merciful God. I can lay bare before a merciful God. Then he says this in the text. I'm a God of mercy, but I'm also a God of grace. It's often paired with mercy. That word grace means this. It's to show favor 
beyond human comprehension. So God is a merciful God. He doesn't give us what we do deserve, but he's a gracious God and he gives us more than we do deserve. You see, you're here in this pew this morning because of the grace of God, not the mercy of God, but the grace of God this morning. We sit here breathing our breath today because of the the grace of God. We don't deserve this. And if you're saved today, if you know Christ today, it's because of his grace on you today. It's by grace we have been saved, not by any works of ourselves. So we have a merciful God that then showers us with this grace, his blessing, his kindness. You see, it's the grace of God that you're here in America and not Istanbul or anywhere else in the world. You are, by the grace of God, his favor upon you that you get to sit in this pew this morning in this free country to worship a God. Do we see that? Like, Don't ever mistake when you come in the doors of this church, it's because of the grace of God, not because you drove yourself here. God gave you grace to get up out of your bed to come to a free country, to a free church, to worship him holy. That's the grace of God. So every morning you get up and you see the light of day, that is God's grace on you. If we believe that he's in control of all things. See, it goes back to him. His mercies goes back to him. His grace goes back to him. And he says, it's all mine. This today is a gift I'm giving to you, Miss Patty. Like your day, your breath. This is a gift to you. That's the mercy and the grace of God. And then he says this. He's slow to anger. Man, think about that. That here's this God that sits on the throne and he's slow in his anger. He, he's not some frustrated God. You see, if you're not slow to anger, you would believe that God would be a very frustrated God. And in his frustration, he's going to do crazy things. I don't know about you, but when I get frustrated with people, I'm not the nicest person in the world. And so what God is saying is, hey, I'm not frustrated with with your sin. I'm not frustrated with you. He's going to get to the judgment part. But he's slow in his anger. Like he's waiting for your return. He desires your return. He longs for your return. So he's sitting waiting patiently with us. He's a patient God. So he's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He's a patient God. And then he says this. And I'm abounding and steadfast love. That word abounding means there are no limits to his love. Let me say that again. God has no limits on his love for us, which is saying to us, in our sinful condition, there is no sin that you cannot be forgiven of because it's abounding. It covers all things. There's no limit to it. I don't know about you, but I would have some limits to my love. 
someone did something to Jenny or Tennyson or Sarah, I'm going to be kind of limited on what I'm going to forgive and not forgive. And yet God says, hey, all those things, all the sins of the world, anything you can think of, from murder to molestation to stealing a cookie jar, my love covers all of it. I'm abounding in love. I forgive it all. And then it's not only abounding, but the word next to it says it's steadfast. It never wavers. Like God doesn't wake up some mornings and think, ah, today I won't be so abounding in love. Or, ah, today I'm not going to cover that sin. Or, ah, maybe not that one. It's steadfast. It's unmovable. It's unshakable. It It doesn't waver. God is not a wavering God. It's firm his love for us is firm so he says i'm abounding and i have steadfast love the love points us back to one thing points us back a few chapters ago in genesis where god made a loving commitment to his people the abrahamic covenant to his people and he said he said here's what it's going to look like abraham you're going to take these animals and you're going to set them in a row and you're going to split them wide open and there's going to be blood that's shed and you're going to walk down that covenant and at the end of the covenant is me myself and i want to be in relationship with you i want to love you And so God is saying to Moses in that moment, I haven't forgotten the covenant I've made with you. It's still steadfast. It's still still there. It will always be there. I desire to be in relationship with you, and I will call you to be in relationship with me. And then he goes on to say this. And I'll keep that steadfast love for as long as, thousands upon thousands is what he says and then he says this so i'll keep that covenant and then he says this and i'll forgive their iniquities their transgressions and their sins so god says to us i'm a gracious compassionate slow to anger abounding in steadfast love i'm faithful in it and i'm faithful in my forgiveness we have a forgiving god I'll forgive anything. Forgiveness is this idea that you and I have sinned, and our sin, the the word sin means we've missed the mark. And so when we miss the mark, we need someone to forgive us of missing the mark. And the word forgiveness doesn't just mean I forgive you, but it also means I'll pay the price and what the price is that you need to be paying for yourself. So God is saying, hey, not only do I forgive you, but I'll pay the price for your sin." That the weight of your sin doesn't fall on you any longer. It now falls on me. I've forgiven you. And then Moses is sitting there. And God says this to him. I think this is so important for us to see. You see, we can end there and we can leave here like, man, yes, we've got a compassionate, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in stuff that love, a faithful God, a forgiving God. But we also have this God. And don't let us forget this part. He says, but we'll by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the father, of the children, of the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. He's saying, I'm all those things, Moses. But he also, if he's all those things, 
He has to be a justful God. He has to be a wrathful God. You see, his wrath points out our sin and the sins of the world. And so he wouldn't be a good God. He wouldn't be a great God if he wasn't also a just God. There has to be justice in God. Because justice says, hey, I've made a way for you to live your life. And when you don't live that way, there has to be discipline. You would not be a good parent. You would not be a just parent if you weren't a parent of discipline. You would have kids run amok. That's part of our problem. We want parents that are gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in love and faithful. But man, let's not be a disciplinarian parent. Let's not do any discipline. Let the kids run the show. And what God is saying is, I cannot allow you to run the show. Because look what happens when you run the show. When you run the show, you create idols for yourself. When you create idols for yourself, the very thing I made you to be was a worshiper of me. When you create other things, other idols, then you take your worship away from me and give it to someone else. And God says, that's not how I designed it, wired it, want you to have it at all. So I will make a discipline on you to draw you back to myself, the God that's in control. So God's love for you, his discipline for you, is because he knows how he made you. Like you wouldn't say, it's what um, Jeremiah says, you you wouldn't say to the potter, hey, that's not really what you intended me for. I know I look like a bowl, but man, I'd much rather be a plate. No, I'd rather be a car. Like you wouldn't tell the maker as the piece of pottery what you are to be. The maker makes you what he wants you to be. And what God has made you be is a worshipful person to worship him and him alone. And so God is saying, hey, when you don't do what I've created you to do, I'm going to discipline you for your good and for my glory. But see, all these things point back to do you believe do i believe that god is sovereign in control of everything and he is the maker of everything and he is the one i am to worship because when we believe that then we would want to be disciplined when we weren't doing what god created us to do amen and then he says this he says i am a wrathful god i am a judgeful god And look what happens in that moment to Moses. He hears all of who God is. He's the creator of all things. He's full of compassion, full of mercy, full of grace, full of uh, slow to to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's faithful. He's forgiving. He's justful. And what does Moses do? Moses hears who God is, and it says this in verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and worship. You see, when we have an encounter, a true encounter with the holiness of God, our only response, our only response is to fall prostrate before the Lord and say, oh my God, you are it and I am not. I will worship you wholly and I'll do it. What he said, it says he does it quickly. You see, our only response to the holiness of God is to quickly worship God. And I wonder, church, I want to hear Powell's Chapel. Have we really had an encounter with God? Have we really encountered God that way? 
Because I know this. I know that when we really worship God, the division that we have in the church will be no more. Let me say it again. When we really encounter God and we really worship God, then we'll fall quickly before our face before God and worship God. And that's all that matters. It, will, it won't matter a, 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 a light of day what's preached from this pulpit other than the truth. It won't matter what activities they do. It won't matter anything that we do if we would encounter God because all we'll be focused on is the glory of God. And the problem that we have, Palace Chapel, I'll speak to us, the problem we have is we do not fall and worship to a holy God. We worship our preferences, we worship our desires, but we are not worshiping a holy God because if we worship a holy God, there will be unity. There will be. Because all of us will be surrounding the throne room of God and our face won't look up at one another. Our face will look up the holiness of God and say, oh my God, help us. The way that Moses did. And then what does Moses say after he worships God? And then Moses said, in verse 9, if now I've found favor, out of my worship for you, God, have I found favor with you, God? You see, when we worship God, God's favor falls all over us. He says, if I've found favor with you, God, oh, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people what does he say? Oh, God, if we found favor with you, come among us, be with us. And it says this, pardon our iniquities and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Let me read that passage again. When we worship God, when we really understand God, who God is, our response to God will we be worship and worship for, first and foremost. But then the second response to the holiness of God is what he does. He confesses and repents. Right? That's what he's doing. He's confessing and repenting. Oh God, please let you come in our midst and, uh, amongst the stiff-necked people and pardon our sins and take us as your inheritance. Please God, please God, please God. You see, the beauty is this in this passage for us. The great gift for us this morning, Pals Chapel, is that we don't have to wait for God to come in a cloud and be with us. It's what he says in John chapter 1. Let's turn to John chapter 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life and life was the light of, the, of man and that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then it says this. He's the true light who gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But to him who did receive him, that's you, that's me, believer, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And so if you believe that he's with you and in you and you are the child of God this morning, and this is the passage that, man, just blows my mind. He says, you were born not of blood and not of the will, but of, of, uh, but of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, if you're a believer here this morning, if you really truly believe that Christ through God has saved you from your sins, we don't have to wait for God to descend in the cloud any longer. It says in his word, he is with us in this very moment. In this very moment, we can experience God's compassion, his mercy, his grace, his slow, his slow anger, his abounding and steadfast love, his faithfulness and his forgiveness. Today, we don't have to wait for him to descend. He is with us now, church. But we'll go back to this. The three things. Have you recognized and have you really come to believe that God is sovereign in control of all things? Because if you do, then you will fall on your face this morning and you'll worship a holy God. And as you worship a holy God, you will come to a true place of confession and repentance. That's what it means to glorify God. And so church, what does it mean for Powell's Chapel to glorify God? It means that we recognize him for who he is, we fall on our face and worship, and we live a life of consistent confession, repentance, and dependency on him. Is that you? Is that me? But maybe the better question is, is that us, the body? Let us pray. God, I pray that we would be a God-glorifying church. That we would come to see you Yahweh, sovereign ruler, controller over all things, and we would fall on our face before you in that, God. And that, that God, that we'd worship you, we'd lay down all of our preferences, and our one desire would be to worship you and worship you freely. And God, out of that worship, you would lead us to live a life of consistent confession and repentance. And God, that we would know as believers this morning that Jesus dwells with us. I wonder what it would be like, God, if we really, the, Powell's, the people of Powell's Chapel, if we really understood that this morning, God, your presence dwells with us. That you, Lord Jesus, you told us that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. You're with us always. And yet so often, God, we act, we respond as if you're nowhere in sight. Because God, I know for me in my own life, I really, really, really consistently lived as if you were in me and with me always, my life would look different. I wonder as a church, God, as a church, if we really believe that when we come and we gather here, you tell us in your word where two or three are gathered, I'm there in your midst. And so, God, you're in our midst this morning. And yet, God, I confess 
hope we, the people, confess that we don't act like that. God, I pray that we here at Pouch Chapel would be a God-glorifying church. It wouldn't be the music that we sang that made us different. It wouldn't be the activities that we that made us different. It wouldn't be any of these other things, any of these other events that we do. The one thing that would be so marked in us as a church, the thing that people would say, man, that church is different. It wouldn't be about all these peripheral things, but it would be like, man, that church stands on the gospel and that, ch- that church worships a holy God. Is that true for us, God? Do we herald your word? Do we hold your word high, first and foremost? And do we worship a holy God? If that's not true for us, let's confess and repent and know that we're forgiven. You're an amazing God. You're doing amazing things here at this church. We're desperate for you, Lord Jesus. Amen.